welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 124, part two of the talk given by Pete Gregg, entitled Prayer. And so we drove off there and I collapsed into the leather sofa, utterly exhausted, and I said to the children, boys, lo, verily, a playground. The Lord has provided both slides and indeed swings. Go forth and enjoy. <laughs> and they both went charging to the door. And at the door, one of them went running through it and I could see him out the window screaming towards the slides and the other one got to the door and he stopped. He watched his brother running towards the slides and swings and he turned around and he looked back at me. And he looked out again and he looked at me and then he very slowly walked back towards me. And he said to me, Dad, I've missed you. And he climbed into my arms and he wouldn't leave. At that moment, I did not love him more than the other child. He didn't become more my son than the other one. But I cannot tell you how his act of unnecessary affection blessed my father's heart. And the beginning and end of prayer is that we have the opportunity to minister with unnecessary affection to the father. Whether it's at 3 a.m. in a prayer room or during some Lenten discipline. Or some private devotion. We can minister love. Adoration. To the Father. And he won't love you any more than anyone else. And you won't become more his son or his daughter. But you will have blessed the heart of God. What else is there? Really and truly. Ultimately. And it may cost you the swings and slides. It may mean settling into the arms of the Father when really deep down you want an Xbox 360 or an iPad. But we give him our love back. And so prayer must begin here. Our Father. But then he says... You move from our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, adoration to this moment of intercession. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Karl Barth said to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising. There is something revolutionary about inviting the rule and reign of Christ into the current uh, domain. As we pursue the heart of the Father, we catch the Father's heart for his broken world. And so we move from adoration to this space of intercession, literally seeding between, standing between opposing parties. Intercession sounds big and religious, but it's really simple. Petition is asking God for stuff for yourself. Intercession is really asking God for stuff for other people. I often think of intercession... Like this, a little girl whose mother and father's marriage has hit the rocks and they one day sit her down to tell her that they have decided to divorce. 
This is a parable outworked tragically again and again and again in our own experience and culture. And so this little girl finds herself there with the two people who not only love her more than anyone, but whose very togetherness has created her identity. And they say that they are divorcing. And in that moment, in ways that her brain can't even articulate, she herself is being torn apart. And so instinctively, she, she cannot accept what is being told to her. And she turns to her mom. And she says, Mom, please, please just say sorry to Daddy. And then she turns to her dad and says, Dad, please forgive Mommy. There has to be a way forward that doesn't involve the two of you splitting up because I love you equally. I am embedded somehow with you and in you equally. And so she intercedes. That is what we do in intercession. We stand between the love of God and the needs of the world. And we are torn between the two because we are utterly in Christ Jesus, filled with his spirit, and yet utterly human, utterly in Adam. And so we say to the world, say sorry, repent, please relent. And we say to the Father, would you forgive? Would you bless? Would you send your kingdom? Would you release your affection? And somehow in our own bodies, we carry the pain of being caught between these two great loves. That is intercession, that child with her mother and her father. As we get caught up into the heart of the father, whilst living our lives in this world of all its beauty and glory and mess, so we intercede. And we saw this so powerfully, intercession, with... Syria a few months ago. It's the most remarkable moment. I don't know if you noticed it. In August, our Prime Minister was gearing up to in, intervene in Syria militarily. Do you remember? And President Obama was planning to do the same thing. That's kind of happened before. And suddenly, our parliamentary system refused David Cameron permission. And President Obama thought, what's going on? And it was clear that he was about to be refused permission. And so David Cameron and President Obama are left blinking, not sure what to do about Syria. And within a week, Pope Francis calls for prayer for Syria. 7th of September, Angeles. And St. Peter's Square is filled uh, with people praying. By the way, if you can organize a prayer meeting attended by hundreds of thousands of people in a week without the use of a photocopier, you're a real leader. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people praying there at St. Peter's Square around the world for Syria, interceding. And I, when, when I, I tweeted about this and, and uh, some of the atheists who followed me sent me very cynical replies. Why don't you stop wasting your time praying about Syria and go and do something useful instead? As if people, if they're going to give themselves to prayer, are not already engaging financially, politically, socially, in any other way they can. Who do they think are constituting most of the NGOs? Who is it that's out there involved? Look at, look at the, the, the Jesuit who was just shot dead uh, in Homs just a few weeks ago. It's Christians who are out there in 
engaging and making a difference, but we recognize there is a spiritual reality as well as a socio-political economic one, and therefore as well as engaging politically and economically and socially, we must engage spiritually in the structures of spiritual influence. And so we pray. I mean, obviously I didn't do that in a tweet because it just wouldn't fit. <laughs> Hashtag. And... Uh, and so lots of people prayed. Big deal, you say. What happened next? I'll tell you what happened next. <laughs> Within, what, about a week of that prayer meeting? It's almost like something in the book of Isaiah. God raised up a peacemaker for Syria. Any, can anyone remember who God, in his inordinate sense of humor, decided to raise up as the great peacemaker for Syria? Putin! <laughs> So, so there's Cameron and Obama, like not sure what to do. President Putin raised up by God. And so he intervenes, and as a result, chemical weapons were dismantled in Syria. Was it everything we wanted for Syria? No. Is it still a bloody mess? Yes. But did we reduce uh, the escalation of violence at that moment? Yes. And those of us with faith think there might be some link between hundreds of thousands of people petitioning the living God on behalf of the people of Syria and the way that out of nowhere the most unlikely person imaginable raised up and spoke out in a way that reduced the violence. Thank God for the intercessory leadership of Pope Francis in September last year. Karl Barth, and we're just drawing to a close here. Karl Barth who uh, Pope Pius XII thought was the greatest theologian since Thomas Aquinas, uh, the Swiss theologian, says this about prayer. We participate in the reign of Christ through prayer. In him we are set at God's side and lifted up to him and therefore to the place where decisions are made in the affairs of his government. In prayer, we don't just... It's not just prayer ministry, come Holy Spirit, let's bless this person. It's not just adoration, I'm just going to rest in the presence of God and give him my worship. It is intercession. Uh, and we are somehow caught up into God's cabinet, into his government. And we are invited to make decisions with him, to partner with him, to partner our wills with his will, to use our will as a landing pad for God's will. So we get hold of the promises of God, which show us the very desires of God's heart, which are currently being resisted and contested by this enemy-occupied planet. We get hold of the promises of God, and we get indignant about the fact that the things that the living God wants to happen are are not currently happening and so we begin to occupy that intercessory space and say let your kingdom come let your will be done why because it's not automatic there are things that will not happen unless you and I intercede about them there are things that will only happen when we start to intercede for them that is the authority we have been given Blaise Pascal said God has instituted prayer to bestow upon his creatures the dignity of causality we get to co-create with God I got a little glimpse into this when we sent um, our first mission team to the Mediterranean island of Ibiza, which uh, we went there. That was a lovely sneeze. Whose sneeze was that? That's the sweetest sneeze I've ever heard. It was like a small canary taking flight. Whereas some of the men here, it's like a herd of rhinos escaping. We were in Ibiza, um, 
we went there because the Daily Mail had described the terrible things that were going on in Ibiza as Sodom and Gomorrah, and we thought, well, that sounds like a good place to go with the gospel. <laughs> so we started sending teams to all the nightclubs and all the people who were taking a lot of drugs and getting very drunk and so on. And um, I still remember going out there, I think that first year, and um, the local priest, we, we sort of said to him, is there any particular way we can pray for you? We thought it was the right thing to say, you know. And he completely floored us by saying, oh yeah, that would be great. Could you please pray uh, that it rains because we're in massive drought right now? And I thought, rats, that's like a prop, that's a big prayer, you know. <laughs> it's a measurable prayer. I don't like those ones. But what can you do? So we gave it our best shot and asked God to send the rain. And I still remember we were, we were in a particular place in the mountains. We cried out to God for it to rain. We said amen. We went and got in our cars. And I still remember the first splats on the windscreen. And, the, and it, hadn't, it hadn't rained for months. And the dust on the windshield uh, beginning to clear as the windscreen wipers went. It didn't stop raining for 24 hours. And, you know, it might have been coincidence, but it was a pretty amazing coincidence that it happened within minutes of us asking God. And then when we checked the records, we found out it hadn't rained that heavily in Ibiza in that particular month in 1976. So if you believe that it was a fluke, good on you. You've just got spectacular levels of faith. But a few of us, I remember someone, I think it was in the BBC, phoned me rather cynically, and he said, well, I hear you think that you guys have uh, had a miracle and made it rain. I said, no, 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 we're not claiming that. It would be preposterous. He said, well, it would be a little bit. I said, we're just saying we prayed and then it rained. You're making the link. So, 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 so then I said, to him, um, I said to him, look, if you think there's no gods and um, you know everything basically we're just highly evolved animals and there's no spiritual reality to life and everything really is just a fluke anyway and I totally respect they said no no don't get me wrong my mum was a Catholic that's what he actually <laughs> said to me and, and they report as God, as God squad claims first miracle in Ibiza so, so, but, but we're starting to see something of the power of partnering with God to say let your kingdom come let your will be done whatever that might look like whether it is the de-escalation of violence in Syria or making it rain on a Mediterranean island. Three very quick keys and we finish to doing all of this in practice. First of all, keep it simple. Second, keep it real. Third, keep it up. Just keep it simple with your praying. Keep it simple. I always remember when Danny was very little and he was at that stage where he was learning to write but he still couldn't do it. And he very carefully, with a big crayon, had written all these hieroglyphics, these squiggles and shapes on a bit of paper. He thought it was writing, but it wasn't. And then he brought it to me and he handed it to me. He said, Daddy, look what I write Read it. <laughs> so I looked at it. I didn't know what to do. And then I looked at his face. And you know, because I'm his dad, I found that it was easier to read his face than the bit of paper. I know the funny things that go on in his head, the kind of day he'd had, so I had a wild guess at what the squiggles might mean, and he nodded his head and said, well done. <laughs> we get so caught up in the technologies of prayer, the methodologies and the vocabulary, when actually the Father reads your heart. And he knows the funny little things that go on in your head, the kind of day that you've had. Even the Holy Spirit gave up on words a while ago and it says that he intercedes for us in groans that words cannot express. 
remember a woman going to one of the first prayer rooms in the US. This particular church had set out to pray non-stop for a week and they were in their 15th week at this point. Just such miracles were happening in the prayer room, they couldn't stop, marriages were being restored, pornographic addictions were being broken, people were coming to Christ and spending an hour in the prayer room the very next day. The pastor had just given up on everything in his itinerary and would go and wait at the door at the end of each hour as people came out and said, what did God do in there? And so in their 15th week, and one day the pastor, Gary Schmitz, is there at the door and this woman comes out, she says, I've spoiled everything, pastor. He said, why, what did you do in there? She said, I didn't pray. You've been praying 15 weeks. I didn't pray while I was in there. I've broken the chain. He said, well, what did you do? He said, she said, I just wept. He said, oh, darling, that's the best kind of praying of all. Right? He reads our hearts. Keep it simple in your prayer lives. Any wood is good to feed the fire. Secondly, keep it real when you pray. Keep it real. Don't feel like you've got to pretend to God. Or use all the right words. Keep it real. I've always loved the story about that man who was in a hospice. He was dying of cancer. He was a believer. And then one night, he was in so much pain, he just lost it with God and began to cuss, to swear at God. So angry with God. The next day, the priest came to see him. He said, I'm not interested in talking to you anymore. I've had it with God. You don't know what I said to God last night. The priest did a very astute thing. He said to the man, tell me, what is the opposite of love? And the man said, it's hate. He said, no, the opposite of love is apathy. What you did last night was you were honest with God. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. And so we can afford to be real with God. Some of you know my own story of my wife's struggles with her health. Finding myself leading a global prayer movement whilst my deepest prayers, my own wife's health, weren't being answered. I had to learn pretty quickly that it was okay just to be with God and to be honest with God and not to have all the answers. Keep it simple, keep it real. And then finally, as we intercede, as we pray, let's just keep it up. Jesus told parables explicitly to say that there will be times when we must keep praying and not give up too soon. You remember the, the, the parable of the persistent widow. And I always think of it like um, stacking dominoes. I'm just that age where I remember there being um, someone on... Who, who remembers um, Roy Castle doing, doing, doing um, uh, record breakers? Do you remember that? If you want to be a record breaker. He played his trumpet. You don't see presenters playing the trumpet anymore, do you? And tap dancing. And, and I remember a sort of teenage boy who clearly didn't have a girlfriend yet came on record breakers <laughs> to try and break the, uh, the domino toppling records. And there were thousands of dominoes all around the studio in this ornate pattern. It must have taken him weeks to set it all up. And then there came the moment... Live television, it didn't get better than this back then. Half the sets were black and white, I suspect, hence dominoes. And better than snooker. And, and he flicked just one domino, and suddenly, like a great hissing anaconda, the whole lot came down. I often think prayer is just like that. You just keep stacking dominoes, and one prayer can be pretty much like all the others. But one day you pray the prayer you prayed ten times, a hundred times, or a thousand times before, and the breakthrough comes. And you think, what was different? What was it that achieved the result? 
And actually, it wasn't anything other than the fact that you just didn't give up too soon. We have to persevere. You know, Jesus himself lives with an unanswered prayer that his church would be united. And so if Jesus himself lives with unanswered prayer, and presumably is still interceding in heaven for that to become a reality, even outworked in this room tonight, then surely we can keep persevering in prayer until the fulfillment of all things. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Be great to get the band back up. Just to play some New Age style music. Uh, to manipulate emotions as much as possible. Anything that's been featured in a Lynx advert would be great. Uh, in E minor. Just, um, we're going to move into into intercession uh, in a little bit. We're going to choose to marry our wills with God's will over some things, okay? It's incredibly powerful because everything went wrong with the world when our ancestors said, not your will, but my will be done and bit the apple or whatever fruit it was. And so when we in Christ come, and say, not my will, but your will be done. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Just as we, we reverse the curse and we bring in blessing. And, and we saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayer is not about trying to make God say yes to the things that you long for, but it is about us living our lives as a yes to everything God longs for. That's why it's when we pray in Jesus' name we see miracles. He said that. And so we're going to use our wills in a moment as a landing pad for God's will into some specific situations. But first, I just wanted to um, uh, pray for one or two people around this thing of where I started, the gear change thing. Because it really seems to me that this could just be a moment where we look back and celebrate, or it could be a moment where we look forward and anticipate. And it seems to me that what's happening with Joel's bar is very significant. Well named, by the way. Not just the bar bit, but the Joel bit. <laughs> See, what is the primary mark of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? The last days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay? Men and women, young and old. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. The primary Mark of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days is a release of intergenerational vision. Which is interesting to me because sometimes charismatics are some of the least visionary people you've ever met, right? Some of the least imaginative. But this is a time for us to make space for the Holy Spirit for new imaginings. Why? Because the Father can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. So you better be imagining something, right? So that he's got something to out imagine <laughs> right yes. now old men dream dreams young men and women have visions 
What's the difference there? Dreams are retrospective. When you fall asleep tonight and you dream, it's your brain processing all the stuff that happened today and over preceding days. And so around the walls here, we have dreams. These pictures are dreams. It's celebrating, remembering, processing, and organizing wonderful things that have happened over the last 20 years. And it is the role of those who are over a particular age to particularly be dreamers in that sense, who with the wisdom of years can look at all the patterns of what the Lord has done and say, look at what God has done. There's wisdom in that. But it's the role of the younger generation often to come through with vision and say, but what might the Lord do next? And when we see old and young coming together, dreams and visions colliding, the retrospective vision of dreaming and the prospective vision, then we start to see something very exciting come together. Does that make sense? When young people just have vision, but they don't listen to the dreams of the older generation, they're in real danger. And when older people don't allow young people to speak their visions out, then everything just becomes nostalgic and stale. Amen? So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximise your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.